Hi and welcome everyone. Today's podcast will be about plugins in Dynamic CRM. With me today I have Jonas Rapp from Sinteos. He is system developer since 1994, currently focused on system architect role and acting head of development. Welcome, Jonas Rapp. Thank you very much, Marcus. How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited about doing this podcast with you. This is a subject I'm more or less burning for in our company and in the CRM community. Ah, I'm glad to hear that. Um, how did you get started with uh, development in CRM? Well, as you mentioned, I have been a system developer uh, since 94 and uh, really not have had anything to do with CRM systems at all. It wasn't until 2009 that I got in contact with Sinteros and uh, I didn't even know what the acronym CRM stood for. Um, today, I believe I do, and um, my path into this has been from a development per- perspective, and uh, I guess that g- gave me a bit different uh, input to how to develop uh, plugins, etc., than uh, for those who come from the other way, that uh, start out with uh, CRM systems and then get more and more techy and learn how to do more and more things. So I guess that has uh, flavored my my best practice and our best practice that we're implementing at Sinteros. It sounds a little bit like me. You start with a, with an endpoint and uh, start in Visual Studio and act from there. Exactly, and uh, discover all the tweaks and quirks of uh, CRM uh, environment uh, from, from down under. Yeah, so if you have a new developer in, in in your organization and he or she is going to do his or her first plugin, where do you start? Well, I think I would actually start with questioning, do you want to make a plugin? Do you need to do a plugin? Because, I mean, there are certain design principles that you uh, should obey. And uh, from my perspective, the first and most important one is, can we do it out of the box? Is there standard functionality for this? Perhaps it's enough with a business process flow or something or in classic workflow or something like that. That would be my first question and to verify that a plugin needs to be developed because developing a plugin, it adds complexity to the system and it uh, makes maintainability harder. So do we want to make a plugin? Once we realize that, okay, this is a place for a plugin um, and that this developer is new to CRM, I guess the important thing is to start with explaining the execution pipeline, of course. I mean, that's that's where the plugins uh, come in in the context of, uh, of the system at, as a whole. So how does the execution pipeline work? What is done in uh, the CRM core? And uh, when is that done? When can we implement plugins before and after CRM core operations? And and that really affects how the plugin is developed and uh, what you want the plugin to, to perform affects uh, where in the pipeline it should be implemented. So what are my options in the event pipeline? Well, to start from the beginning, actually, the closest to the interface where the user clicks save or it, the record is automatically saved by, uh, by CRM, 
uh, you come to the pre-validation stage, which is also known as stage 10, because uh, all stages have a name and they, they have a number. And at this stage 10, it's still outside the transaction. It has not come anywhere near the CRM database. So this is a very good place to perform validation. And is this should this record even be saved to CRM, or should we throw an exception, give the user feedback that there's something wrong? We should prevent the, the save of this record. These these plugins in stage uh, ten pre-validation are often uh, complemented with the JavaScript to enhance the the user friendliness, so that the user can get a really well well formed uh, error message or instructions after stage 10 the transaction towards the crm database is uh, started so uh, in all stages after pre-validation we're inside a database transaction and uh, that um, affects how we write the plugin we don't want it to bounce in and out of transactions just uh, anyway so the, the first step after um, the pre-validation and now inside the transaction is the pre-operation stage, which is, uh, as the name indicates, uh, it's before the actual core operation of the save of the record or whatever action is being performed. Pre-operation has the number 20. This is where you can um, complete the record to be saved with uh, additional information. Perhaps you want to aggregate something and or retrieve uh, information from an external service or something like that to complete the, um, the target of the, of the save operation. After that, it's the core operation. It's at uh, stage 30, we think. This is not, uh, I guess, uh, official numbers, uh, since it's in, inside the black box of CRM that we really don't know anything about and really cannot affect in any way, at least not supported. After the core operation, we have the post-operation stage at stage, uh, which uh, the number 40, which is uh, where we can do things that should be done after the record has been saved. Perhaps if we save a contact, uh, some uh, information should be, should be um, saved to the account the contact belongs to, or things like that, things that should be done after a record has been saved or updated or assigned or whatever the action is. So if we start with the pre-validation, uh, would you recommend doing something like, oh, I want to check if a field really is required? Yes, you can absolutely do that. And um, I mean, the requirement level of fields that you design during the customization of CRM, it is actually re only implemented in the user interface, in the web interface of CRM. Um, so there's nothing that says from the CRM perspective that uh, a required field must be included when a record is created from an external service or from a web portal or something like that. So in my opinion, all business rules that you define in customizations or in JavaScript, they should always also be implemented in, uh, in plugins or at server side in some way. And uh, concerning required fields, it's an excellent uh, stage to do it in the pre-validation stage so that you can uh, throw an exception informing the user that, um, oops, you forgot to fill in this field. You need to do that before you can save the record. Do you ever feel that you have to do things twice then, that you have to do it once in like the form 
to set it as required and then once more in the actual code of the plugin. Absolutely, and I believe that is one area where we as a community, if I may say that, are a bit sloppy and we're not really consistently following the the design principles. I mean, all business logic, which may include required fields, it may include uh, the format of uh, account numbers, etc. Uh, all business logic like this should be implemented server-side. Then to enhance usability, you also do it uh, client-side. And if there are uh, complex validations, I mean, for instance, you need to look up a social security number and verify something with that, then you may use a semi-halfway version that you use the JavaScript to call the server function that will, where you have the implementation so that uh, the server will only return whether it's okay or not. Um, that That is quite a neat way if you have complex business logic that you want implemented in one way or another, both client-side and server-side. You implement it as a generic function server-side and you call it also from JavaScript. Yeah, that sounds uh, better. So you don't have to do the business logic twice, at least. You just do the check twice. Exactly, and that's the point of it. And um, you should. I think you should always have... Uh, think in the way that client-side logic may break, could break, and uh, may not at all be be executed. And the system should still work. You should not get dirty information in your database. Uh, that, that's a good principle, I think, so that you use the client-side scripting to enhance usability, not to implement business rules. If I say that I have a requirement that this field is required, then would you add that as a sort of static in the code or would you recommend putting that somewhere that the customers themselves can change? I believe uh, some sort of configuration is in place. I mean, as we all know, uh, customers change and they change their mind and they change their business rules. Um, okay, we might make uh, lots of bucks by having to re-implement the whole system and by having to rewrite the code when they change, but we uh, could get better customer satisfaction when we, if we created uh, these kind of uh, validations as uh, some sort of configuration. It could be data in CRM, it could be some other way of uh, implementing this, but uh, I really think making the systems configurable to a certain extent is uh, is crucial to be able to support the customers and to give them a good system. We had the second step, the pre-operation. Do you have any sort of recommendation what kind of actions to put there? Yeah, usually what uh, we do when we use this step is to, uh, to f fill the record being saved with more information. For instance, if you create a new contact and the contact has a checkbox uh, inherit address from uh, account, then we can have a pre-operation plugin that looks up the account associated with, with a new contact, reads the address fields and populates those to the address fields of the contact. 
it won't be uh, there won't be any cascade on this. Where if you change on the account and so on, that would need, require another plugin. But it's a it's a classic case where you use a pre-operation plugin to add more information to the record being saved. Yeah, nice. It sounds like you're extending the mapping functionality inside CRM with additional options. Exactly, and that's a, I don't think I've seen one customer where the built-in mapping functionality is enough. <laughs> it's, it's very, very few occasions where you can only create records with a certain parent and the fields are mapped and that parent cannot change afterwards because if you change the parent, the mapping does nothing for you. And also if you, if you create a record not from the parent context but you create it from, from no context and you select the parent, you don't get the mapping functionality from CRM. So you have to do it in, in other ways. I, I would say almost every time you implement something like this. Okay, so populating fields and getting more values into the record so that the actual core operation saves what you wanted to save. How about the post operations then? Yes, post-operation, as you, of course, hear from the name of it, is what do we need to do after this record has been saved? We have, in, in CRM, there's this workflow functionality or processes, and this is many times very well enough. And it's done post, it's done after record has been saved or created or deleted, and uh, but it's done asynchronously. You don't really know when it's done, and... Um, also, it's uh, quite limited to what you can do. For instance, you cannot uh, perform selects of children of a record or and things like that. That's a whole different chapter. But when when we realize, okay, a workflow cannot solve this problem, we either need to do it synchronously or we cannot perform it using existing uh, workflow steps. Then, then we do this. For instance, say that uh, you change the address of uh, this account then after the address has been saved, you can look up, okay, get all contacts of this account and uh, check which uh, of these contacts have this checkbox, inherit address from parent. And then you can update, loop through these child contacts and uh, update the address of those. Anything that's asynchronously, that's, that's always post for you then? Yes, asynchronous operations are always post. I mean, if you if you say by asynchronous it will be done, it will be posted to a queue and it will be handled when some server decides it has the resources to do it, it will be post. Yeah. You cannot you cannot do that. Pre-operations asynchronously is is a bad choice. Uh, it's uh, more or less a contradiction. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, and that's that's a whole different uh, part. I mean, it's related to the stage that we discussed in the beginning here, which stage we're doing it in. But also, it adds another dimension to to the stages. Do we want to do it synchronously, immediately, with the possibility of immediate feedback to the user, or do we do it asynchronously, which can then be executed on a completely different server? It can be. And also, you don't really know when it will be executed. I, I would also like to take the opportunity of saying, since asynchronous tasks are being um, popped from the queue of, uh, of asynchronous jobs, 
these these are retrieved uh, in bulk. So and there's a setting. I mean, you can override it by a registry setting or a config database somewhere to say how many jobs do you want to retrieve at a time. So if there are many jobs, say that this account has changed its address and asynchronously you want to uh, update the address of all the contacts that should inherit the address. If there are 100 contacts and uh, the asynchronous server is configured so that it will retrieve 100, rec 100 jobs at a time, then all these 100 will be updated in parallel. So that that could be an issue. I mean, if you create new records and you want to assign each one of them a unique number and you have an asynchronous engine that will perform all these tasks threaded in parallel, then it's really hard to make sure you actually get unique numbers. That's just one example, but it's worth, you really need to think about it when you perform asynchronous tasks. Okay, so if you then choose that particularly to run pre-core operations instead, so it's, you get one at a time instead. Is that your recommendation for that kind of problems? No, actually, what, what I would do, I mean, this would be solved by doing it synchronously, not posting jobs to do this later. Yeah, yeah, pre-operations, I, I mean, synchronously by that. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's still post-operation, but it's uh, synchronous. Okay, so you do post operations but synchronously. So yes. uh, hard word to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that um, you can do asynchronously? Yeah, there's actually in many cases where you have a, some kind of integration to other systems. It's really beneficial to do it asynchronously. I mean, because when you work in the system, you generally don't need immediate feedback of how the integration to other systems go. Um, so after updating an account, you want to make sure it's also updated in your ERP system. That can be done asynchronously because it might take some time to, depending on the integration type, if it's a web service or you just want to create a file and post somewhere or whatever. Um, so integration tasks, do it asynchronously. That's it. Also, uh, for asynchronous steps, when you register them, them in plugin registration, there's this option to delete the job if it was successful. This should really be considered because if you want to be able to trace what has happened here uh, during asynchronous tasks, uh, you should not check this checkbox to delete the jobs and then they will be visible in the system jobs in CRM. You can see what uh, that they have been executed. You don't really see the details there. Um, there's nothing from the tracing service visible if uh, if the job succeeded. But if there's something uh, that has gone wrong, I mean, that is uh, an exception has been thrown, then it will always be shown in the system uh, jobs uh, list. And you can also see the, the trace log in the details of this system job. So integration and uh, make sure you know how you configure your step. Do you want to delete successful jobs or not? I've read somewhere that uh, there's a recommendation to delete them if you're worried about your database size. Have you any f considerations about that? 
Absolutely. Um, you should. I, I think you should always check this box unless there's something spooky in your system. If you really want to investigate what has happened and why, then you can leave them even successful jobs. But I mean, these are jobs that are stored in the CRM database. Uh, so if there's lots of jobs being performed, it will uh, take up space. And uh, when the asynchronous engine retrieves uh, pending jobs, it looks in this uh, table. And uh, if there are thousands or millions of completed jobs that are just lying around there, it will take longer time to, to retrieve uh, the pending jobs. Do you do batch uh, deletes uh, to, to clear up this afterwards if you have had like problems with it and you leave this on for a month or two? Yeah, you, you may come to that point where you really need to do this. And uh, I, I we're not doing it regularly, but uh, I mean, of course... If you miss out on this flag to delete uh, successful jobs, you, you may end up with a really big database that you need to perform a bulk delete on. Yeah, and it's not that really hard to just, oh, all successful asynchronous jobs, delete them. Exactly. We just scooped by a little bit about the configurations there and and how to get data into the the plugins. That's not just the data that users entered. So if you have that scenario that you want to send information in like an integration, do you store that reference somewhere that, oh, we send it to this guy and you have a URL somewhere in a config entity or where do you store that? Generally, in my experience and actually in my in my taste, we have configuration entities in CRM. Of course, you come to a point when there's configuration you really shouldn't store, uh, where you have uh, access information, credentials, and passwords to to external systems. That's no good to save it. Of course, depending on your security roles, etc., you could store it in CRM and make sure that only system administrator can see this and make sure that the plugin is executed as the system administrator. But, well, th there are different uh, <laughs> layers of configurations, of course. Um, there is, of course, the possibility to define um, this configuration information in the secure and unsecure information on each step. Because when you register a plugin step, uh, that is actually a trigger. What should be triggered? Uh, how should this uh, plugin trigger? Then you can add secure information, which is encrypted in some way in the in the communication, and unsecure information. We are not really using that since this uh, information is it's hard. It's not possible to change this information in the CRM interface. If you need to change it, you need to actually start the plugin registration or use some other custom design tool to, to update the plugin steps. And the plugin steps, we consider them part of what we deliver, part of uh, the solution we deliver as well as the compiled code. Um, but things that need to be configurable, we put them in CRM. Configuration entities, in many cases, just a generic configuration entity, more or less name value. Uh, and in other cases, there could be uh, specific designated entities that we use for uh, different functionality. If I have this integration and I have a username and password, that's I don't want to share with everyone. Do I 
put that somewhere else then? That could be the case to use the secure information on the plugin step. Are there any more data that you get into the CRM execution when the plugin fires? Yeah, that's actually quite a big chapter in itself. Uh, The information out of the box or when you just register a plugin, say for a pre-update of an account, which means do it in pre-operation or pre-validation of uh, an update of an account, then what you actually get is not the account, the entire account, uh, how it looks uh, with all the information. It's an account uh, instance with the ID of the record and only the fields that have been changed. And in the user interface, I mean, CRM user interface knows which fields have been changed. So if you only change the telephone, it will only be be the telephone field that's included in this target, as it's called in the plugin context. Um, And if you need any more information, you have two options. You either use the, the, the entity, you know the entity name, it is an account, and you know the ID, which is also included in the target, and you use that to query CRM database to retrieve the latest information from the database. The other option is to include an image to the plugin step. You can add a post image or a pre-image, which means you define which fields from this account do we want to add uh, in the in the plugin context, and do we want to have the information from before the record was saved or after the record was saved? Um, for instance, you can use the if if you trigger something for the change of the telephone number, you can add a pre-image with the, the uh, zip code of the account and the telephone number in the pre-image as it was before it was saved. Then you can check that, okay, was the area code of the phone number changed with the, compared from the pre-image with the target? Then you can change, is it a valid uh, area code for the zip code where the company is or something like that. The other option is where you actually you want, you just want to have more information. Um, changing a contact, you might want to always know which account does it belong to, to be able to perform uh, specific plugin tasks. Then you can uh, include the parent account ID or parent customer ID in a post image. So then you know you can always, from the plugin context, retrieve the account that the contact is uh, related to. And there, of course, the the drawback of the first option to query the database for the information is that you have an extra round trip to the database where you need to query information. I'm actually I actually don't know how these posts and pre-images where they are composed, uh, but I have <laughs> been told, and uh, ex- tests have verified this, that it's more efficient to add pre or post images than to query the database during in the plugin execution. Okay, so you would recommend that as long as your entity record that you want to have data, that you use these images to get the data instead of querying about that? Absolutely, that uh, should be more, uh, more efficient. Uh, from the round trip to the database server perspective, etc. And if you need data about something else like child records, then you have to query about that. 
Yes, because there you can only re- get uh, in these images. You can only get information about the record being saved or being created or assigned. So there's there's no way to get information from uh, the parent account. It's re- the contact is related to or from uh, children of any entity. You you cannot get that in the image. And also another thing with the images is that it's really easy in plugin registration uh, application to, okay, I want to add a post image. I, I may need, I don't know what I need, so I just check all attributes to be, be included in the post image. That is generally not a good idea because uh, each field, especially lookup fields and um, option sets, they do, when you get those from the database, uh, joints are made. So it's it's more heavy for the database and for CRM uh, in the core operation to to add images with uh, all fields than just uh, the, the fields you know you really need. If I remember correctly, there is some kind of limit on how many attributes that you can get on an image, is there? Uh, not that I know of, especially not since there is this uh, check all checkbox. Uh, that yeah, but if you want like seventeen out of hundred and fifteen, uh, that may that may be the case. Actually, um, I think that's also relevant for when you register the step. You can also define filtering attributes, which is not really filtering attributes. It's, in my opinion, an entirely wrong name. It should be called the triggering attributes because you define changes to what fields should trigger this plugin. You uh, perhaps don't... that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, I, I think so. And that is that is something that's really important also to specify in the plugin step registration which fields do we care about when they're changed. I mean, this uh, phone number validation plugin should not be triggered if you change the name of the account. That will just... Uh, introduce more round trips, more cycles on the CRM server that are really of no use, no use and it will only affect uh, performance. Yeah, so you can sort of filter out the events that you're looking for and I want changes to, as you said, this account, telephone number and zip code and, and that's the two that can change and if any of those change I want an action on that. If they change anything else, I don't care. Exactly. That's the main point. And also you need to know that when you when you specify two fields like in your like you mentioned, the zip code and phone number, it's not an and between there, it's an or. So if either of those fields are changed, the plugin is triggered. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. You you mentioned there before that we have images just just pre imposed. So how does that work if I have an pre-validation or pre-core operation. Can I get both? Um, actually, no. In that case, you cannot. You can only get the pre-image because the post-image is the state of the record after it, after it has been saved. So it's not. it does not uh, contain, as you could think, the, the, the changes being made because you really don't know pre what information will actually be saved to the database. So then I just have the target with the changes that the user is trying to do to the system. Exactly. And uh, you can add the pre-image to see, okay, uh, a field that was not changed, what uh, what was it before it was saved? Okay. 
So that means also that if I create something and I try to add a post image to that on a pre-validation, that's that's also like, yeah, you can't get that. No. Because there's no... Pre-create, you, you cannot get any images because, as we mentioned just now, the post image is not available in pre-steps. And uh, naturally, there's no pre-image before it has been created. So if we move to post operations then and, and do the same thinking with delete, then how does that work? Post operation, you can get both the pre and the post image. And then the pre image will contain the record as it was untouched before it was saved at all. And the post image contains what was actually saved to the database. And then, of course, you, you might say, okay, but just let's just look at the target then. It contains what has been saved. But uh, the point of using an image in this case is to be able to read more fields than were actually saved without querying the database again. All right. So, so that's more a general on post for, for like save and update. But if you do a delete, is the image then gone? If you have like a post, you can't register that on a delete or can you? Uh, delete uh, always imposes some interesting aspects of uh, coding here. Uh, there's no post image to a delete message because, uh, I mean, after the record was deleted, there is no record. Just like the, before it was created, there is no record to get information from. But also, if you need, if you want to do anything relevant at all uh, in the post step of a delete message, then you have to use the pre-image because the target... Uh, in a delete message will not contain uh, the record with any information. It will only contain an entity reference to the record being deleted. And uh, if you do it post, you cannot even uh, query the database for information about the deleted record since it is deleted. You have to think before you, you, you choose here to make the right action in the right order here yeah i'm I'm sorry marcus but that's our world today we really need to think before we do things Uh, yeah of course another thing concerning images that really helps our coding is that we have uh, methods that are common generic that we can use in all plugins that will just get all information available about uh, the record being updated so that we have we have encapsulated uh, small functions to okay let's uh, there's a get the pre image get post image get the target and then there's this get complete entity and it will read the target and then if there is a pre image available using some name, naming standard that we have it will append the fields missing from the target with fields from the pre image and if there's a post image it will add those as well that, that are missing so then. It's really easy when you're coding to say, okay, get complete uh, entity. And then you have, you should have all fields available that you need to use. And you really don't care if this, it was only the zip code updated now and we need to get the telephone number from the pre-image or if both were updated now and we have them both available in the target entity or the other way around. So just there's an easy function to say, okay, get everything I need. That, that That's really a suggestion to have this functionality. It helps a lot if, you, if you're not really interested in exactly which fields are changed, but you know you want to trigger this plugin. Now we need to do something regardless of uh, 
the details of why we need to do it. Yeah, and and those helper functions is really good to have. You can find all of that in the SDK, or is there more hidden there? Actually, I mean, the SDK describes how to retrieve the pre-image uh, entity, etc. Um, what what we have done at Centeros is to develop a framework that we're using uh, during all plugin development, uh, so so that it's easy for all developers to utilize these methods and to actually <laughs> write the plugins faster. All right. So do you stitch this together with the plugin themselves or how do you get the code in there? Um, we have libraries that we use and uh, that's uh, our development utilities actually and uh, with lots of functionality like this and um, well sort of a layer on top of the entity uh, entity class from the SDK. So do you use like I'll merge to get the functionality from that project into the under project in Visual Studio. And not in Visual Studio, but you're right. We use I'll merge uh, to um, to merge these assemblies that we need our custom made assemblies, including the the plugin assembly itself, so that we can register it and register it uh, sandboxed and online and uh, in the database without having to deploy our different uh, libraries that we utilize. Yeah, because you you can't really add just a custom DLL to the CRM database. It has to be a plugin, right? Yes, exactly. It has to be, it's just one DLL and that can be registered. You cannot register. I, I think I've seen some uh, case where you register an assembly that's uh, not really triggering for any steps, but it's uh, that way getting to be known by CRM, but we're not using that. We're using I'll merge and of course, another option is just, I mean, the, the source code of these libraries is uh, public to uh, to everyone in that uh, use these tools. So you might as well compile it into the same DLL from the beginning. But we, we use this way. We have a separate uh, libraries with these functionality and we I'll merge it to before registering in CRM. Earlier, we brushed through a little bit about the tracing when, when we discussed how to delete information about plugins. So what is this tracing service? Well, the tracing per service is uh, something available from the SDK, something that you can uh, get a handle to during from the plugin context and you can uh, actually, you can use it as a log. You log events in your plugin to that and also, I think that's really to be recommended. Always use it because when something breaks in a plugin and you get this business process error dialog in CRM when you try to save a record, if you have used this tracing service, you will also get a small button there, not just close and too bad it failed, but a button to say download log file. And everything you have written to the tracing service is available in this log file and that is huge help for developers and for debugging purposes. Um, and also if I mentioned we have our own libraries to support our development, uh, logging is naturally a big, a big part of that as well. So that you, you do logging and it will log to the file or event log or 
whatever and also everything you log is also written to the tracing service so that if something breaks it's possible to retrieve it even if you cannot access the disk where the log file was written or if it's uh, online or sandbox you of course cannot access anything like that but you you have the tracing service and this is also what is uh, what is written as we mentioned when you have failed asynchronous jobs you don't get any pop up because it's asynchronous no user integration or user no user interface to to show them Exactly, and but then you have the system jobs uh, list where you can uh, open a system job, and in the details section there you see exactly what has been written to the tracing service, and this includes all the timestamps I think out of the box, so that you can see uh, actually how long things takes, etc. Three months later, some user gets an object reference not set to an instance of an object. You get a little bit more information to where you are exactly i mean if if you use uh, in in your code you log things on a regular basis then you can at least say okay where did it break where was this object not found yeah something has changed and you didn't anticipate it in your code and Mm. oops perhaps there was a field that was required but uh, someone (laughs) added a portal service that didn't uh, add this field yeah, uh, and now it's missing. So do you recommend them breaking up in like functions and then uh, log each function that you go through or uh, what level of tracing do you add? We use quite a lot of logging and uh, mostly since uh, debugging CRM, I mean, there are tools to do it, but you have to admit it's a hassle. It's It's no fun debugging plugins. Um, you have to attach to the IS process or you have to have the IS on your own machine and where you perform some sort of remote debugging and there are, there are solutions inside Visual Studio as well. But I mean, most commonly you don't want to do this uh, in a production environment if uh, errors appear there. You want to have a log that tells you what went wrong. And so mostly for debugging purposes, we uh, have quite much logging and of course, in a normal production environment scenario, the logging has been turned off. But then if errors start occurring, we can uh, switch it on and investigate the log files or the tracing service uh, logs, etc. Yeah, so if you don't uh, do it now, you, you will be later that three months or three years later down the line where you really get these errors that you didn't anticipate. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's it's possible three years down the line to switch on the log. It's not possible <laughs> to tell the code to start uh, producing log entries if you haven't written them from the beginning. So you don't have to, if you can just switch on the log, you don't have to compile a new version and start uh, adding uh, logging to it. So there's a possibility to add... Uh, plugins to execute offline. Do you usually do that? Usually no, but um, we have um, been forced by some customers to do that as well. And uh, um, it requires, you you mentioned your need to think before you do. And (laughs) in this scenario, you really need to think before you do. Um, the the classic scenario is uh, creating new records and you assign uh, unique numbers to them. Okay, how unique are those? And should the, we do something if the plugin realizes we are in offline mode? Okay, 
add a pending add number something and uh, to be performed when you synchronize and um, what should be done when uh, the plugin is triggered due to synchronization what should be triggered when it actually happens in offline mode and uh, how should that work in uh, relation to um, the classic online scenario so th th there's a lot to think about in that area so if i decide to go down this road and i add some code to be executed on on my outlook client when when i save a record there and i'm offline there and do that code execute again when i go online then uh, this is really not my strongest area but I, my my impression is that yes it's executed uh, when the record is updated uh, offline and uh, of course you can see in the plugin context that uh, we are now in offline mode uh, and then it's also executed when it's uh, with this flag instead that it's executed due to synchronization when when you plug the pc back to the internet so 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 it is actually executed twice but you can see in the plugin context where you are and what the context is in this case so it's more scenarios to consider when you're developing your code. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you get online and not just from an offline online mode, but actually CRM online, um, we have this sandbox. Um, does that pose any f special requirements yep. in your regard? Yeah, there are um, some constraints uh, to sandboxed plugins, which can be read in detail in the SDK. But I mean, for instance, uh, processes may not uh, continue for more than two minutes, and then they are just killed. And uh, actually, we have seen recently we have uh, asynchronous plugins in online environment that create records. It creates lots of records, like a thousand records. And, uh, yeah, that is a lot of records. Yeah, that's a lot of records. And uh, they, for, for seemingly no reason, it doesn't take two minutes, uh, but uh, they are also killed after a certain amount of new created records. And I, I believe Microsoft have said that yeah, you cannot create more than 200 records or 500 or what the number was. And that's really something you need to dig into if you are facing this scenario. So there are limitations to sandboxed plugins and, uh, well, of course, uh, as the name indicates, if you're, when you're sandboxed, you cannot access anything on the server itself. You cannot write log file to a disk or things like that. So you, there's, you're constrained to a, a smaller box of sand. Yeah. W would you recommend to try to go sandbox when you have the option to or do you try to go out of the sandbox when you have the option to? I think the recommendations is use sandbox always. If you cannot do what you want to do, okay, do it out of the sandbox. Um, but from our own experience, we uh, rarely use sandbox. We, we don't use sandbox when we don't need to. Um, you, you have better control of what's happening on the server and you can, as I said, we use logging extensively during development and debugging. Uh, that's a lot harder in sandbox mode. 
so so we don't use it, even though I, I think yeah, I've seen the SDK states that you should use Sandbox. It uh, takes up less resources from the server, etc. But um, we don't do it. Yeah, and I can imagine that since it's not full trust, it's is a is a subset of what you can do, and and I can I can think that that takes up less resources. Yes, it also uh, affects um, as you mentioned, it's not full trust. So if you are using, uh, for instance, third party uh, assemblies that you use functionality libraries with uh, extended functionality that are not full trust, if they're supplied by a third party, then you just can't use it because you cannot uh, merge it using IL merge or you, you can't use it in online environment. And um, if anyone knows how to do this out there, please give me a call. <laughs> yeah, contact information will be in the show notes. <laughs> exactly. So you mentioned here a couple of times debugging logging. You you log to disk, but if we, for instance, have have problems in, like you said earlier, productions, and we have debugging turned off, and it's asynchronously, can it be a problem to actually find out that you have a problem? Yes, of course. And I mean, it's this, uh, just like this, when you try to watch a quark or whatever it is, it, when you start looking at it, it changes uh, behavior. Uh, I mean, you add logging, which uh, reduces performance, it goes slower, then the concurrency problems and the uh, race conditions are not <laughs> there anymore. So, uh, of course, there are lots of uh, things that can be affected by logging. And uh, I mean, logging to disk is not really rocket science. It's uh, you should have other methods of logging and you should make sure that the logging is not uh, really affecting performance so that you have you might have a event listener implementation of uh, of this uh, log writing etc there's lots to be done there and uh, i mean you can log to a service in the in azure or something to make sure that we can always access logs we can switch on logs in customer environments uh, just by configuring their uh, logging instance in our Azure service. There, there's lots to be done and um, it has been, I mean, I know many developers, many companies have developed this kind of um, debugging information. My question was more of a, if you have this asynchronous plugin mm -hmm. and it starts to failing, it, it, it only shows up in like the system jobs. And if no one is looking there, how do you know that there's a problem actually occurring? Yeah. Like we discussed earlier, there's no UI, so there's no users seeing it no. on oh, a regular it's, it's basis. Like, it's like this case, if a tree falls in the forest, does anyone care? Yeah, well, <laughs> the uh, integration stops. You have yeah. a scenario, you put integration asynchronously, and that stops, and... No. Yeah, I Three think months down the line, someone asked, well, we have a, this some seems odd. Yeah, I think most of us have uh, been faced with this problem that uh, no one really notices that things are failing. And uh, so you have to, when you develop your maintenance plans for your systems, when you set up your maintenance organization for the system, checking system jobs is a 
very important uh, thing to uh, to do. And I mean, if you have some other type of uh, logging to event log, the Windows uh, system log, then that should be checked regularly and so on. And, and this is, there's no, of course you can implement send an email if something breaks, but there's always things could break that you don't anticipate and no email will be sent. So the maintenance plan, which is far from this plugin development project, but the maintenance plan is, is crucial. I mean, you have to check the logs, you have to check the system jobs. Okay, yeah, it, it's not actually part of developing, but it's per, perhaps part of the plugin lifecycle management, perhaps, if you... Yes, are... uh, yes, it is, and uh, it's part of development uh, in the sense that we have to, when you develop plugins, you have to make sure that you enable this type of investigations. You you shouldn't uh, create plugins that uh, has a try-catch around everything and just uh, says uh, everything's fine. Yeah, because then you never know. No, exactly. Okay, so if you do this sort of try-catch and, and you throw this exception, uh, and if you're inside a transaction, does that mean that the entire transaction rolled back? Yes, it actually does. And uh, also, I mean, if if other things have been affected during during the plugin execution or during the transaction, rather, uh, like when you update the address of a of an account, it will be propagated to the contacts. Um, all of them will be rolled back. Um, I should also mention that when you an exception is thrown. If, if it's thrown with the exception class invalid plugin execution exception, then the user will see, and it, of course it's synchronous, then the user will see a somewhat more neat uh, dialogue saying business process error and uh, the, the message of the, of the exception that was thrown. Uh, any other exception classes will just th show, uh, well, not that uh, well-formed information to the end user. So, so if it is, I mean, you can have different opinions of this. I mentioned you should not have a try-catch that catches everything, but you could have a try-catch that catches everything and throws an invalid plugin execution exception to be able to at least uh, give some sort of information to the end user when something went wrong and possibly also why and the message from the uh, the original exception um, then then it will look nicer to the end user even if it still fails so you see remify the exception in some way that to try to help both the trace and the users to actually do something valuable with this information. Yes, exactly. And then, uh, then you can you you may still write things to the tracing service so that you get this more neatly formed error message. But you can download the log file and send it to us. <laughs> nice. So if I'm thinking, yeah, well, this sounds really good. I, I want to read more about it. The, where do you point people to? Well, in the com community, there are lots of uh, blogs and uh, information sources about this. And uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't really personally like reading documentation, white papers. That's, I mean, I would rather 
do something else. <laughs> but uh, browsing through the SDK is good for you. I mean, you can you can learn a lot from that, and um, I think thousands of hours have been put into it, and that's not just for fun, that they had to document things. It's really educational. You can find things there. Then, of course, browse, search. I mean, whenever I encounter a problem, the first thing I do, well, next the second thing, the first thing is I try to solve it and understand it. But the second thing, you Google it. There's Most of the times there's uh, some blogger out there that has encountered the same problem and written something about it. Perhaps it's you. Ha! <laughs> Might be. You don't know. Yeah. You have a blog and you write a little bit about Serum there. Yes, and um, unfortunately, it's uh, more of a frustration ventilation type of blog when I discover things that uh, ah, I want to tear my hair from my head because it really doesn't behave the way I expect it to. Then there might be some blogs there. I think the latest ones were concerning adding events in runtime to uh, form fields, etc., and removing those events. It's, it really doesn't work. So I wrote a few blog articles about that. And um, There's actually, since you mentioned it, and, uh, we were touching the subject uh, but never got into it. The delete uh, plugins, um, it's quite interesting that when a record is deleted from CRM and you want to do th- some things, you lose information between stage uh, 10 and 20, between pre-validation and pre-operation. So there's, from as far as I know, undocumented things happening in stage 15 or something. For instance, it, and it depends on uh, relation relationships. If you delete an account and uh, the cascade behavior for delete says remove link for all contacts related to this account. Then this link is being removed between stage 10 and 20. So that if you want to do something to the contacts uh, that used to belong to the account being deleted, you can't do it pre-operation that you would want to do because that's when we do things. Uh, We have to use pre-validation stage where we don't want to do things, we just w- want to verify that uh, the operation can be can proceed. So, oh, so interesting. Yeah, interesting is one word for it. Uh, I have another word which is not appropriate for this pod. <laughs> okay. Um, but but I actually I discovered this when I was uh, writing this um, plugin that would perform a cascade delete. Since uh, you can only configure cascade delete for one relationship uh, on an entity. You cannot say that, okay, when we delete the account, delete the contacts, and when we delete the some other parent record of the contact, delete the contact then as well. You can only dis- specify this for one of the parents. <clears throat> so I developed, uh, was developing a plugin that would also perform a cascade delete when uh, deleting uh, more than one parent uh, type. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. Yes, and uh, this. Um, so I was writing this and discovered. Okay, but why can I not find the parent on uh, the children when I wanted to retrieve all the children of the the parent being uh, deleted? There was just there was no result. Because in stage twenty pre-operation, all of the children had had their link to the parent removed. Mm. Really interesting. It took some hours <clears throat> to find that out. 
Yeah, and the, and then you wrote about it on your blog, and so that people who are listening to this pod can can enjoy that and not have to tear their hair out. <laughs> exactly. I actually provided the the entire solution. It's a blog about Cascade Delete. You can look for it in my blog, and we'll have the address in the show notes. I I have a quite funny history or story about uh, this cascade delete function that I implemented. I know quite a few have uh, seen it and perhaps downloaded it, but I've only been in contact with one other um, CRM uh, vendor that are actually using it. And I shouldn't name any names, but um, law enforcement agency in the UK are using this because they're developing they're using Microsoft uh, Dynamics CRM to develop a system that will keep track of all the crooks and villains and bad guys in their part of uh, United Kingdom so they have uh, records of uh, where they have last been seen and uh, who they are and perhaps uh, friends and family well, I don't know but the some guy from this development department was in contact with me concerning this cascade delete functionality because they used it. Perhaps they needed it to be able to delete information from all kinds of uh, directions when someone was proven not guilty or something like that. Interesting. Do you have anything else? Uh, fi- uh, follow you on Twitter? You have a Twitter handle? Yes, it's uh, Rappen, R-A-P-P-E-N, and I tweet... Uh, Mainly about CRM and uh, this other interest of mine, uh, <laughs> American football in Sweden for kids. Well, it's quite. I, I realize it's two quite narrow areas, so I don't have millions of followers. Um, but uh, there's some information there uh, from now to then, uh, from time to time, regarding CRM as well. When you register a plugin, you can set these stages and you reduce it for an entity and stuff like that do you add checks for that in the code too to be really sure that you have the correct entity actually yes we we always do that uh, i mean the first thing that happens when a plugin uh, execute method is entered is that uh, you verify the context are we here because we need to do something or are we uh, here because someone screwed up uh, performing the plugin registration or perhaps someone forgot to uh, define filtering attributes? I mean, uh, when you create a new step, the default is that it will trigger for all attribute changes. And it's I, it's very rare that an update should trigger be triggered for all attributes. So we, we always do that. We check that it's a correct stage, we correct it's a correct entity and that uh, attributes have been changed. And also in this, since we always have this uh, short method that is, uh, that is passed and uh, to verify the, the context, it's, it's really easy to include changes, not, that, not just that a specific field has been changed, but you can also check is it changed to something special that we care about or uh, was the change not of our concern. So I, I think that's a good good practice to include these checks. Um, I mean, if everyone does everything the way they should, you don't have to do it. But uh, in a large and complex uh, system there are i mean we have systems with hundreds of plugin steps unfortunately literally a couple of hundred uh, 
then there is business logic updating records back and forth and then suddenly you have one plugin triggering another and you might get recursion you might get uh, un other unintended uh, uh, plugin triggering so I, I think it's a good practice to make sure you only execute the code if you need to yeah so i get that you're f considering that you don't develop your plugins super dynamic anyway. So if you want a new stage or a new entity or new fields, you have to check to change the code anyway. So you might as well just add that because it's the code is static <coughs> to those things anyway. Yes, uh, that's correct. And I think what this uh, context uh, checking mechanism should do is to verify that this plugin can handle the current context. Because if I mean, if you realize, okay, this plugin shouldn't just be triggered for updates; it should be triggered for assign as well. Then you are in a whole different. Uh, you have a whole different uh, context then in the plugin, so that you have to make sure that you can you only enter code that you can in the context that you can handle uh, it's not just that to add another step or triggering another message uh, usually you, you need to be aware of where you are and what you should be doing so no one just add a new step in the plugin registration and then you get this object reference not set an instance of an object in in production and you're like whoa nothing works no we uh, we we try to avoid that yes um another aspect of uh, having this uh, verification of the correct context is i mean if if you are, have the soft attitude you just make sure okay exit the plugin if you have a more hard attitude then you throw an exception informing the user that there was this uh, idiot developer de de uh, <laughs> specifying a plugin step that we can't handle. They have to uh. think more. So, and uh, I guess, I mean, in most cases, if you have a really good control of your systems, you can make sure that if the context is not as expected, throw an exception. So that's your recommendation then, throw exception to, to find those cases and not just let them pass. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a good thing. I mean, um, okay, th this is relevant for large systems uh, with a developer group of more than just a few guys, um, where where many people are involved. If you are yourself developing a system, then you should know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing and you're adding t code to be, make sure you yourself are doing what you should, then I think you have bigger problems than CRM. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Have we missed anything else here today, Jonas? Yes, probably tons of things, but uh, I don't think we have any listeners left now. So I think I think we should uh, call it a day. Okay. All right. Thank you for your participation in CRM Rocks. Thank you, Marcus. It was really interesting. Thank you. And thank you who are listening. And don't forget that you can comment and subscribe on crmrocks.com. And in any of your devices, you can just find it in your favorite app. Just search for CRM Rocks.